Work Appropriate is brought to you by Lumi. Want to smell better naked? Let's face it, our underarms aren't the only place we have odor. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi Whole Body Deodorant for pits, privates, and beyond. Lumi was created by an OBGYN who discovered and proved in clinical testing that the vagina is not to blame for day-to-day odor below the belt. So she developed Lumi, a uniquely formulated pH-balanced deodorant. It's aluminum-free, skin-safe, and clinically proven to control odor for up to 72 hours. Right now, there's a special offer for new customers to get $5 off Lumi's starter pack with the code WORK at Lumi, that's L-U-M-E, deodorant.com. Personally, I am very excited to try Lumi in the under boob area. Um, I get a lot of sweat in that arena while I'm out gardening, and we'll just see if maybe it cuts down a little bit of that stink. I can't wait. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new consumers. It comes with solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice, like mini body wash and deodorant wipes, and free shipping. And as a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code WORK at lumideodorant.com. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit lumideodorant.com and use code WORK. Hi, everyone. I'm Anne Helen Peterson, and this is Work Appropriate. So I have spent a lot of time thinking about remote and flexible work. I co-wrote a book on it with my partner, Charlie Warzel, which meant hours and hours and hours talking with people who'd been working remotely long before the start of the pandemic. Also, because I am who I am, I spent weeks deep in books about the history of offices and management and how work got to be arranged the way that it was. Most workplaces were convinced that they could never, ever, ever let people work from home. But then the pandemic forced them to consider that maybe, actually, they could. That book came out in December of 2021, which feels like a million years ago in pandemic time. Leading up to the release, We were so nervous that everyone would, like, quickly go back into the office and the book itself would become totally irrelevant. Now, the virus had other plans, but so too did our own work habits. Turns out that when you let someone have more control over the shape of their day for over two years, it's really, really hard to convince them to let go of that control. The story of remote work right now, in this moment, is a story of so many organizations still trying to go back to the way it was, maybe with a few concessions. And millions of workers saying, hmm, I don't think so. Now, does that mean that work somehow gets better when you work remotely? That there aren't giant pitfalls to being able to work anywhere at any time? Of course not. Learning how to work or manage or collaborate remotely is a very real skill. And most of us are still pretty bad at it, in part because we didn't ever conceive of it as a skill unto itself to learn and refine and practice. So as co-host today, I wanted someone who has a ton of experience working with all sorts of teams as they've confronted these problems. I am Marissa Goldberg. I am the founder of Remote Work Prep and the writer behind the Remotely Interesting newsletter. Um, My background is in software engineering and product management, and I started working remotely full-time in 2015. So how did consulting on remote work become your niche? 
it was all accidental, actually. Um, so when I first started working remotely, I went in as like an entry level software engineer and I worked my way up very fast into becoming director of product and operations. And when I first started, there weren't a lot of resources out there on how to work remotely. It was 2015. It was still early days. Yep. And there just wasn't a lot out there. So I started to experiment because I quickly realized that the meeting overload, the burnout that comes with all of that was just not working for my team. And I wanted to figure mm -hmm. out what else, what were the other possibilities? Like we're doing work in a different way. So why not adapt our approach? And so I started experimenting and soon my team was the most efficient in the company. They were doing the most for all the clients. Team morale was through the roof. Our meetings were less than 5% of their work week. And other managers started coming to me being like, how, how are you doing this? Like, what is going on? So I started consulting just as a side project. It was supposed to just be, oh, hey, I love this topic. I've been experimenting with it for a few years now. Might as well just start consulting on the side. So in 2018, I started remote work prep just for fun, really, because people asked me to. Um, and then my company exploded overnight in 2020. So yeah. it's been my full time <laughs> thing for, uh, for a couple of years now. Yeah. I feel like our, our routes are kind of similar because I got interested in remote work as well totally by accident by doing it right mm -hmm. like I was first I was a professor which isn't like our traditional understanding of remote work but it is flex work right mm -hmm. yeah and then before the pandemic my partner and I you know moved to Montana while still having our offices in San Francisco in New York and spent the first couple of years trying to figure out what that would look like being a remote employee and then also learning a lot of the things that didn't work you just have to be willing to think a lot about it and have experienced it too. And just experiment. So th yeah. the first things I tried didn't work. <laughs> you know, like everything that I eventually yeah. found to work, it was like a slow learning process where I tried to do something a little different. And then, okay, I learned that you do this. I learned that you don't do this. And then you slowly iterate and iterate and iterate because we forget that we've been doing one way of work in school for a very long time. So we have these deeply ingrained habits um, built into us and yep. it takes time to unlearn those things. So you're not going to go from like, oh, I'm in this deeply ingrained mode to I'm in full, you know, remote work, super experience. I do everything right mode overnight. It just takes time. Yeah. We're far enough along in this post beginning of the pandemic journey that you can kind of look at these eras of what companies were really struggling with or looking for solutions for. So what did you see pre-pandemic? How did that change in maybe the first year? And then what do you see now as companies are trying to arrive at like, okay, what's our future going to look like? Mm -hmm. Are we going to be permanently flex? Like what is the new status quo that we're going to have? So pre-pandemic, there was an entirely different vibe because there weren't a lot of people working remotely. And if you were to find a remote job, you almost had this feeling of luck. So you're just yeah. like lucky to be there. Um, yep. I will say that one part of it is that people still have that feeling of luck during the pandemic because, you know, for obvious reasons, they could keep their yep. job. And then even after the pandemic, now it's like, oh, I can keep this flexibility. And what comes mm -hmm. with that feeling of luck is that people tend to overwork themselves in order to maintain that luck and be able to yeah. stay in that position. So that's something yeah. that's remained consistent across all of them. During the pandemic, there was this belief that people who went remote during that time, they thought this is remote work. And for those who were remote pre-pandemic, they know this is not remote work. This mm -hmm. is the worst thing ever. <laughs> yeah. You're, we always <laughs> said, like, you are working from home 
during a pandemic. A pandemic. Like, <laughs> it's not remote. And I still get people who are like, what's the difference? What's the difference? And there's so many things. First of all, like the, the idea of remote work is giving agency to the individual about where, when, and how they work. You eliminate where like automatically because you totally. have to work from home because you're yes. quarantined. Yes. This is the thing. People are like, oh, working from home is so lonely. I'm like, that's because there's a virus. Like it doesn't have to be this way. Normally you would be like out before work or after yeah. work or even during work where I, yeah. I have to convince people now like, hey, take a midday afternoon and go do something. Go see a movie. Go go grab groceries yeah. where there's no line. Like go try to get out there. And they're like, what? Yeah. What? I can do that because they're still so stuck in that pandemic remote role. So or co-working spaces or the library. There's so many or options. Your friend's house. <laughs> like there's just so many options. But I think you're right that we had a really limited understanding of what remote or flexible work could look like. Also, the huge one limited or no childcare. Yes. <laughs> like totally different scenario than what remote work actually is. And just the mental pressure and the fatigue that comes from being in the middle of a pandemic and being like, oh, I have to focus yes. on work now. How am I going to do that when there's this whole mm -hmm. crazy thing going on outside? It's it's very different. And we're still, I feel like we haven't gotten over that. So people are still stuck. And I've been working remotely for a couple of years. I know all about it now when they were really working remotely during a pandemic, like we talked right. about, and they haven't learned that. I also see right now, the questions are more zeroing in <laughs> on, okay, so we have this flex arrangement, but we still haven't quite figured out when or how we're going to get people to still show up in the office <laughs> and how many days those will be. And are we going to actually trust people to work from home on Fridays? And also the overwhelming one is still like, meetings that are hybrid are awkward. They're awkward. And I know we're going to talk about that today, but what do you, <laughs> what besides that do you see in questions that come to you? I see a lot of people trying to adapt to new ways of work that there aren't full definitions for. So we talk about hybrid work and what companies are talking about when they talk about hybrid work is very different from what individuals are talking about when they say hybrid work. So what companies are talking mm -hmm. about is forced hybrid which is you come in on these set days of the week and you're going into the office. What individuals are asking for is just more flexibility where they can go into the office when they want to collaborate and they can stay home when they want to get deep work done or they want to see their kids play and they don't want to deal with a commute. Like there's flexibility there. Mm. But with forced hybrid, it takes away agency. Like I talked about before, remote work is not just work from home. It's giving agency to the individual over where, when, and how they work. All automatically, when you switch to hybrid work, you're getting rid of the where because you have to live within the vicinity of the office. Along with that, you probably won't have a larger place that you may have like multiple areas for work because you have to live so close to uh, usually a big city in order to be close to the office. So people are talking about hybrid work and they're talking about two separate things. Mm. So when you hear people say like, hey, there's these studies showing that people want to work hybrid. I'm like, what kind of hybrid? Are they really yeah. asking to be in the office three days per week? I don't think so. <laughs> there's so many different menu options. Mm -hmm. There are people who still want to go into the office mm -hmm. twice a week. They do. Like they like that connection, that in-person connection with their teammates their work style may be more collaborative and that sort of thing. And then there are people who are really flipping the script and saying, 
we're going to go remote first and we're mm-hmm. going to concentrate on actually refining what that's going to look like. And we're truly going to let people live wherever they want. Mm-hmm. And we're going to handle all of the messy tax designation stuff. Like we're going to figure that out. But I also then see a lot of companies that are like, eh, we don't want to make any decisions. And then just kind of letting like inertia just take them in weird directions. And people just no one really like knows what's going on. So, and that festers. Yeah. Yes. Right. So all these 100%. people who are thinking like, will I have to move again? Will I have to be back in the office? Like that's affecting their productivity just because those companies won't make a decision. Yes. And I think that the companies are like, uh, well, what if we just kick this ball down the court? But it's actual people's lives. Right. right? Um, so let's dive into our questions. The first one is from Heidi and our producer Melody is going to read it. Now that we've gotten used to remote meetings, I find it horrible to sit in a real live meeting with half of the attendees remote and present from a screen. Who do you make eye contact with? How much attention do you give the remote people? Does this feel universally horrible? I've even made a point a few times to be remote when I have to present to avoid this awkwardness. Do you think this will become easier with time? How have other people made this feel normal? All right. So like I said before, this is like the number one question that I get, I think, because it's pretty straightforward. I would just like to point out before I ask for your very sage advice that like there is nothing natural about the way that we did meetings before. Just because we thought it was normal for people to like sit at a conference table in a room and like listen to people the way that we did while also taking notes or while like everyone else typed away at their computers and pretended like they were listening. Like none of that is natural either. It doesn't have to be that way. So we can come up with a new normal of what a hybrid meeting looks like. So what's your take here? (laughs) So my take starts with... I would like to thank Heidi for even recognizing it's an issue. So what happens a lot of times is that the in-person people are just totally unaware and going about, you know, this meeting just like it's a normal meeting, normal like it used to be. Um, And not recognizing that they're treating the remote workers like second class citizens. So first, just thank you, Heidi. (laughs) Next. Yes, I absolutely agree. It is universally horrible. (laughs) The tech has not caught up to our way of work right now. And I do believe that an in-office meeting and a remote meeting can be done just fine. But when you combine the two and you're in two different modes, it's it's awkward. So Mm -hmm. my rule typically is if one person is remote, everybody is remote. And Mm. this helps with a ton of different problems from sound quality issues to people being worried that they can't speak up because there is this delay. So in person, you're more quick and you're going back and forth, back and forth. And then remotely, someone can't jump in because they're hitting with a, a, a slight delay there. So I believe that everybody should be remote if it's going to be with remote workers. Uh, the other thing is, if you do have to have this meeting where some people are in person and some people are remote, you should absolutely have async first best practices defined and set up beforehand so that the actual meeting is just a small portion of what's actually happening. And what I mean mm. by that is that pre prior to the meeting, you're sending out, you know, the meeting agenda, you're collecting people's feedback on the topics that you're going to be going through, you're you're getting this all up front so that when you're on the call, I can then say I'm in person and you're remote. And I'm saying, hey, Anne, like you brought this up in the document. Can you go ahead and deep dive into this? 
Yeah. And then also post meeting, you want to have a recap and a reference because there's going to be portions of that call where the sound quality isn't great, where people are talking over each other and the remote people need a reference to see what they missed. And the only other thing I would mention is like practice things like doing a round meeting style, a round robin meeting style where you call on people specifically instead of just saying, do you have any questions? You say, and do you have any questions? It just helps people speak up more. That is so real because it's so awkward to butt in as <laughs> the remote person in a hybrid meeting. Mm-hmm. And especially if you know, like this was the case before the pandemic, like I would be zooming into this little conference room at BuzzFeed and like, I just would know my, here's my giant face in the corner, <laughs> you know, and yep. you're like, you're trying to like <laughs> listen in on like the jokes that they're telling or whatever. It's just, it was so awkward. And so like asking specifically like, okay, what's your feedback on this? Mm-hmm. This also gives us, I think, a really great opportunity to talk about one of the plagues of post-pandemic meeting culture is that like sometimes we think okay well we want to get feedback from all of these people let's have a meeting Mm. or people think well we have some people in the office let's have a meeting about this oh those two people aren't in the office today let's still have a meeting about this (laughs) and like there's a fine line here right because i think sometimes you can be like well let's just have us four meet and then like we'll fill those other people in later which reinforces that hierarchy of people Mm -hmm. who are in person get more opportunities, have more say. And, you know, you have equity issues that result from that because the people who are more likely to want to stay remote are oftentimes women or moms or caregivers, et cetera, et cetera. Lots going on there. But that would be a great scenario where you could ask before, does this need to be a meeting even? Mm -hmm. If you want to have that collaborative time with like while you're generating ideas or even like spend time just in proximity to other people, there's so many other things that could serve that purpose other than the meeting or like be fine with slotting that meeting the time when it feels okay to have it be all remote. Because sometimes I think the reticence here is, oh, I have Zoom fatigue. I just want to be an actual conference room with people. Mm -hmm. But that's a different problem Mm -hmm. than the meeting itself is awkward. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. When people come to me, they ask me like, when do I know if I should have a meeting or whether it should be done async? I'm like, first, this is a great question because you're actually thinking about it. People tend to just default to meeting. So you've taken the first step. Woo. (laughs) Next step. How do you define that? And the way I define it is we look at what is a meeting best for? A meeting is best for relationship building and speed. Speed, because we're instantly talking. Like, we're right here. We can get all of our questions answered. Relationship building, because we're humans and we like to see our faces and, you know, that kind of thing. If it's not relationship building or speed, it should probably be done remote or at least mostly done asynchronously. Yeah. And I think sometimes it takes some convincing Mm -hmm. for people, like, because they just are used to having certain types of tasks be performed synchronously in meetings and... I would also invite listeners to revisit one of our previous episodes. It's about meeting culture to talk about some of those specific issues. But I think that's great advice, too, to to layer onto that. Work Appropriate is brought to you by Miracle Made. Did you know that traditional bedsheets can harbor more bacteria than a toilet seat? Personally, I believe it. But that also probably has something to do with the fact that I let my dog sleep on the bed. It can lead to acne, allergies, and stuffy noses. It's just gross. Miracle Made offers a whole line of self-cleaning, eco-friendly bedding such as sheets, pillowcases, and comforters that prevent 99% of bacteria and require three times less laundry. That's amazing. 
It's also better for your skin because you can stop sleeping on bacteria. You know how like you wake up in the morning and you're like, why is my skin dirty? How do I have zits? I'm 41 years old. What's going on? Probably because I have a filthy pillowcase. So I can stop sleeping on my filthy pillowcase and start sleeping on clean sheets, which means less bacteria to clog your pores, fewer breakouts, and other skin problems. They're also, apparently, this is wild, self-cleaning. They are infused with silver that prevent up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, leading them to stay cleaner and fresh three times longer than other sheets. No more gross odors. Okay, all right. Can we like do that for all of my life? Maybe I can put 99% sulfur in like all of my clothing. Go to trymiracle.com slash work to try Miracle Made Sheets today. And with Mother and Father's Day right around the corner, this is the perfect way to give someone you love the gift of better and more luxurious sleep. Save over 40% and be sure to use our promo code work at checkout to save even more and get three free towels. Miracle is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash work and use the code work to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40%. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash work to treat yourself. Work Appropriate is brought to you by Shopify. You hear that? You should know what it means already if you've been listening to this podcast. That's the best kind of notification. It's the sound of another sale on Shopify and the moment another business dream becomes a reality. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're selling a salt pig, which is that thing that you put next to your oven and you fill it with salt so you can just kind of take a little salt, put it on top of your eggs, or spatulas. Shopify simplifies selling online and in person so you can focus on successfully growing your business. Shopify covers every sales channel from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform. It even lets you sell across social media marketplaces like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. Packed with industry-leading tools ready to ignite your growth, Shopify gives you complete control over your business and your brand without having to learn any new skills in design or code. And thanks to 24-7 help and an extensive business course library, Shopify is there to support your success every step of the way. What's incredible to me about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify is there to empower you with the confidence and control to revolutionize your business and take it to the next level. Now it's your turn to get serious about selling and try Shopify today. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash workappropriate in all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash workappropriate to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash workappropriate. Looking for a new binge-worthy podcast to add to your queue? Look no further than Stift, the eight-part series from Crooked Media and iHeartRadio. Host Jennifer Romolini takes you on a wild ride through the rise and fall of Viva, the erotic magazine for women that rocked the publishing world in 1973, New York City. With a team of feminist writers and editors behind it, Viva in its original form had everything from full frontal male nudity to a fashion section run by none other than Anna Wintour. But with porn king publisher Bob Guccione at the helm, were they always destined for failure? Find out now by listening to the first half of Stift, available for free on your favorite podcast platform. Don't miss out on this podcast. I love it.
So our next question is about this same sort of awkwardness, but this time it's about building relationships when everyone is remote. This comes from Quinn, and our executive producer, Kendra, is going to read it. I was an entry-level hire in peak COVID of 2020 and started remote. I'm an engineer in a niche field, and I feel like I've missed out on years of what would have been in-person mentoring. With everyone online and working from home, it's so awkward to reach out with questions or wanting explanations that I desperately need to do my work well and to grow as an engineer. But it feels really difficult. What does actual mentorship look like, and how do I ask for it now? Especially as I approach a timeline where I, quote, should, unquote, be working more independently and achieving professional licensure. Oh, so I'll say in the beginning that mentorship just generally is really hard to come by. And this is something that, you know, I hear from a lot of listeners, even outside of remote work. So I can see how this particular remote setup would make it feel even harder. So let's break this question into two parts. The first one is, how can Quinn get the day-to-day help she needs with her work? What do you think, Marissa? Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. You could absolutely go get an in-person job. Like, I, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to be pushing people to be like, oh, remote work is the best. Like, if you think you can get this mentorship in person, then I would recommend you go get an in-person job. The only thing I'll note is that I think you might be disappointed because remote work doesn't tend to create entirely new issues. It tends to magnify existing issues. And so, when we're looking at things like mentorship it was probably already an issue before that company went remote. Um, yeah. And I do feel like I'm, I am uniquely qualified to answer this question because I did start as an engineer, as yeah. an entry level That's engineer. perfect for you. <laughs> when I was wrong. And now I can look back eight years later and be like, this is what I did right. This is what I did wrong. You know, um, And when I look at it, I do think remote work provides a unique opportunity for entry level employees. Hmm. And what I mean by that is that In person, your work is judged based off external measures. So this is like how you dress, how you act, whether you went to the bar with your bosses after work, um, whether you're buddy-buddy with someone. With remote work, that all is kind of taken away. And what's left is your quality of work. Are you completing what you promised? That ends up being more important than anything else. And this ends up creating an awesome opportunity for those who are traditionally discriminated against, especially like what we're talking about when it comes to age. So in Mm. person, you tend to be held back. I know I was. I spent two years in person before I went remote. And uh, in person, it was just like, how, how many years were you at the company before you could even touch, you know, certain issues? versus remote, you can kind of dive right in. And that allowed me to go from an entry-level engineer to becoming director of product and operations and working directly under the CEO within a span Mm -hmm. of under four years. Yeah. So there is this opportunity there if you have like ambition and you like the remote work experience and you like autonomy. Now, how do you get there? So autonomy is kind of beaten out of us when we take the traditional schooling and then work approach. So when we Mm -hmm. go into a new job, we expect like permission to be granted to us. And I just want to say to Quinn, don't wait for permission. Like just stop that because that's going to help a lot with um, getting ahead. So that was the number one mistake I made in my first remote job is I tried to wait for permission and I was sitting around like, oh, okay, when is someone going to tell me? When is going to someone's going to mentor me or handhold me? (laughs) No, no one's going to show up and mentor you and handhold you. 
Um, So stop waiting for permission and start diving in. So dive into a problem, take ownership. What I suggest to new workers is to notice problems in onboarding. So call out things that were maybe like um, hard to understand or you felt like were missing in onboarding. And typically those are things that no one had time to add to onboarding and haven't really understood that they're missing. So if you take ownership and say, hey, this is a problem and let me find that solution. Let me build that into onboarding. You're getting practice and experience that's going to help you down the road. Um, Also help your boss in areas that they hate. Um, So just ask them, like, what areas of your job don't you like? (laughs) And then um, if those are areas that they don't care if you touch, that's the biggest thing is like, um, you want to find areas that you'll be able to um, have an influence on. And those are some great areas. One of the things I did when I joined a new remote company is I offered to do an employee experience survey. So I joined as a product manager. And in order to get to know everybody and to find who to ask questions for, because their onboarding process honestly sucked. So I needed needed to figure out my own ways to get in. And what I did was I met with every single person in the company and asked what's great about your job, what sucks about your job, and what are the requests that you have. And that's data that like leadership wants to have, and they don't want to sit through all those meetings or have all those conversations. So I gathered all that data, I created reports about it. And then I went to leadership being like, hey, here's what's working, here's what's not, here's what's um, decreasing morale, here's what I would suggest, and I'd love to take ownership of this project and start working on it. So then you have things to work on, you have people to talk to, because now you know everybody in the company and what they actually do. And yeah, that was a huge thing that really helped me in my career at the very start. So that seems actually like a way, you know, not to necessarily reproduce that specific project, but I'm wondering if you could use some of that outreach method to actually find a good mentor in Mm -hmm. terms of like just reaching out to someone who's like who you maybe you've only met once or maybe you've only seen their work, Mm -hmm. right? You can say in the outreach, like, I really want to understand what your role is. In the company. Yeah, I just, I, I want to know what people do, right? Because I, sometimes I feel siloed or whatever language you want to use. Mm-hmm. And then that sort of conversation could lead to something that looks like mentorship. I think we are often limited in our understanding of what mentorship looks like. We're like, oh, we need to like propose. Yeah. <laughs> like, will you be my mentor? You yeah. know what I mean? Like that it has to like come that way when really it could start with a conversation like that, that then you have another follow-up conversation or you they refer to another one of like a coworker who's been at the company just as long. Like there's just so many different ways that that could spread, but it takes that initial outreach, mm-hmm. which is it just as awkward as <laughs> trying to make friends in your 30s and 40s? But I think just as useful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's awkward. You're going to be putting yourself out there, but it does require you to like step up, communicate a lot, get to know people. Um, the other thing is don't just rely on your job for mentorship. Like join yes. local groups, go to conferences, uh, like keep learning. Like I, I still, I'm eight years in, I'm still taking courses on the side to just continue to network with people in my industry and to get to know people and learn stuff. Um, so don't just rely on your work because it, they honestly, your, your manager and the people you're talking to might have a lot on their plate. 
and it might just be too much for them too. Now, if you are a manager listening to this, I would really love for you to create synchronous hours. These are hours where you are live on Slack and you'll respond instantly um, Mm -hmm. to any questions you receive, as well as have weekly office hours where anyone can check in who you're leading and get their questions answered. I'd also recommend that you um, set up an onboarding buddy process where the onboarding buddy is someone who is not the manager. It's usually more of like a lateral position so that these new team members can make friends with people on the same level and they feel more comfortable usually asking questions to other people on the same level. Mm -hmm. And then also doing things like learning lunches or lightning talks uh, can also provide opportunity for everyone in your company to continue learning, not just the new members. The thing that I usually add when talking about giving someone kind of a buddy when they're onboarded, and we talked about this a little bit a while back in the episode on onboarding with Adrian Hahn, is make sure that the person who is that buddy is interested in doing this job, right? Like there is someone (laughs) who that is like their, that is their work gift is like, I am the welcome wagon. Mm -hmm. I love being the welcome wagon. It like it's the lights extroverted me up. person usually yeah. on the team. <laughs> but also take some stuff off of their plate mm-hmm. so that they're not like doing all of that on top of everything oh, yeah. else. But, That's part yeah. of their job. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because other, I just, I heard some horror stories. This was like during the depths of the pandemic of people being paired with like online onboarding buddies. And like their buddy was so swamped. Of course they didn't have any time to meet with them yeah. and like familiarize them with the, the culture of the organizations. Work Appropriate is brought to you by Magic Spoon. I love cereal. I love sugary, saccharine sweet, as much frosting as possible cereal. The good news is that even though sometimes I still eat those cereals, Magic Spoon has cereals that taste like those cereals, but that are filled with protein and are the perfect thing after, say, a long workout when I need a whole bunch of protein to fill me up. So you can get this variety pack, and there are four flavors, and they're cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. Personally, I really like the fruity. I'm telling you, it tastes very similar to another cereal that will not be named, but very good. And this pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five net grams of carbs, and only 140 calories a serving. So it's high protein, zero grams of sugar, keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. You can go to magicspoon.com slash work to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code work at checkout to save $5 off your order. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of high-protein cereal at magicspoon.com slash work and use the code work to save $5 off. Support for today's episode comes from Honey Love. The reviews are in. Honey Love came out as the top for best wedding day shapewear. With wedding season upon us, this is the ad you've been waiting for. Whether you are a bride, a guest, or looking for an everyday fit, Honey Love is your go-to for all things shapewear. Honey Love has revolutionized compression technology so you no longer feel like you're suffocating while wearing effective shapewear. You'll immediately feel and see the difference. We have an exclusive offer for my listeners. Get 20% off your entire order with the code WORK at HoneyLove.com. Support our show and check them out at HoneyLove.com and use the code WORK. 
So the shapewear is really, really great. You don't feel like totally locked in and you can't ever go to the bathroom. That's like the problem that happens with other shapewear. You like are just struggling. You need someone to like come into the bathroom with you and like roll it off of you. That does not happen with Honey Love. But I hope you can also see how that compression technology would also work on your bra. So I was very dubious when I heard that there was a bra that didn't have any underwear. And like a lot of people, underwear is how I grew up wearing bras. It's just like that's how you know you're you're wearing a bra. Like that's how you know that you are uh, in there tight. But this bra uses the same technology in a way that like really convinces you that, that everything's locked in. But it doesn't feel like, I don't know, like you are being locked together at the rib cage. It just works. And I really recommend if that's something that you are looking for, non-underwire, perfectly fit bra, this is it. All right. But let's just be clear that Honey Love is more than just this really good bra. And it's more than just sculptwear. They have incredibly comfortable tanks and leggings for everyday support. Honey Love is just as easy to put on as it is to take off. Shapewear shouldn't be hard. Bras shouldn't be hard. Honey Love's products make you look good and feel good, whether it's for a wedding, event, or just an everyday boost of confidence. Honey Love is the perfect plus one. Treat yourself to the best shapewear on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com with the code WORK. Use code WORK at honeylove.com. Next up is a question that does some myth-busting about the so-called flexibility (laughs) of remote work. This is from Megan. I accepted a remote job at a nonprofit after my friend, who also works there, encouraged me to apply and said the company was super flexible when it came to taking time off. After a couple of months of working there, I asked my supervisor, the same supervisor my friend had, if I'd be able to use flex time for an appointment. She said no and that I'd have to use PTO. I thought maybe since I was new, they just didn't want me taking advantage of their flexibility without first getting to know my work ethic. I've been here a year now and recently asked if I could take a long lunch for an appointment. My supervisor said if it went more than 15 minutes over my usual lunch hour that I should use PTO. Meanwhile, my coworkers are consistently announcing on our company-wide Slack channel that they'll be leaving early or popping out for an appointment. These messages have even been greeted by management with praise about keeping a healthy work-life balance. There is no way our measly PTO is covering all these absences, and I know my friend isn't made to use PTO for things like this. When I ask him about it, he says he doesn't ask for permission to leave. He's gotten multiple promotions, so this behavior hasn't negatively affected him. I have anxiety, and the thought of leaving work without permission doesn't sit well with me. But I'm tired of feeling like I'm not given the same flexibility that everyone else has. Is there a way I can bring this up and advocate for more flexibility to be thrown my way? Oh, there's a lot going on here. I feel like this person's manager is being weird, super weird. But also, I think that it's ingrained some pre-existing habits in the question asker that like you should always ask for permission to take some flexibility. What do you see here? I struggle with this question because I don't want to put any burden on her yeah. at all. It's not on her. I know. It's, I, know. I, I don't even know if there's anything she can personally do. Yeah. It's a management issue. It's a company issue. So on the management side, they're not recognizing that remote work isn't just working from home. It's about giving agency to the individual, like we talked about. 
And anything that depletes from that takes away from the remote work experience. So that's what she's experiencing here. And then on the company side, do they not have a clear, defined, like written policy around this? Like there should be something that Megan, I think her name was, should be able to point to and be like, yes, I can go take this right now. No, I shouldn't have to use my PTO in order to stay 15 more minutes or whatever it was. Um, so this is a failure on the company and the management part. Uh, I would... I don't want to put any like burden on her. Like she could. Well, it's, a, it's a trust issue, right? Right. Like, her manager doesn't trust her. Mm-hmm. Thinks that like somehow she's trying to take advantage. Because here's the thing: like if her appointment goes over 15 minutes, she'll just do that 15 minutes of work I also, in a different way. I time hate using matter. time. I hate using time <laughs> yes. too because like one hour when you're at like a high energy state, you're getting way more done than one yeah. hour at like a low energy where you're worried about being late for set appointment. <laughs> like it's just right. very different. Well, and it's one thing if you are your presence is demanded at a certain time, right? Mm-hmm. If you're working retail, if you yeah. are working as a receptionist, we know from the beginning that this person is in a remote job. So her work can be portable. And that means portable physically and portable throughout the day. Mm-hmm. So 15 minutes at lunchtime to, to do an appointment. Are you freaking kidding me? Like, this is ridiculous. And like, I want to say that very clearly yeah. <laughs> to to our question, Esther, that it's ridiculous. And I think part of her anxiety stems from the fact that already the manager has said no. Mm-hmm. So to her, if she like kind of pushes at this and works towards some of the freedom that her other coworkers are taking, it will feel like she is breaking the rules mm-hmm. in a way that it shouldn't. Absolutely. But okay, what can she do about it? Ideally, switch teams or companies if possible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would just leave that out there. That was probably the best case scenario. Um, try to get the company to define a policy because then at least she has yeah. something to point to. Um, ask her friend how he approached that because she said the specific boss, like the friend had the specific boss too and yeah. didn't have to go through this. So ask the friend how he approached the specific boss. Um, start with questions. So I know when we approach these kind of things, it can be difficult to not let our strong feelings in and her feelings are very valid. This sucks. But when you're trying to create change, you want to come from a place of calm and questioning nature rather than... Um, yeah you know, finger pointing. So start with um, what is the actual policy around this? I would love to be able to work later if I need to in order to make up these hours, but I don't want to have to use my PTO. Like just start from a question area rather than statement area. She doesn't say how big the company is Mm -hmm. in the question. Just as nonprofit. Yeah. And I wonder how big it is because you could ask HR about the policy, Mm -hmm. right? That would be a way to kind of get some of that clarity without having to do something like go over your boss, right? Because I think that would also probably be not great. Like this boss would feel blindsided maybe. I mean, I just like, that is just shitty management right there. And like, even if that is the company policy, that's bad company policy. You're a remote company. Like, Mm -hmm you are probably not paying your employees very well. Uh, So one way you can pay them is in trust that they will get their work done, Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. Underwork is very rarely a problem. 
in remote very work. Rare. Very, very rare. Very rare. <laughs> but overwork always tends to be a problem. And what happens is companies create policies that target underwork and then they fuel the overwork and then their entire team ends up burned out and they're like, what's going on here? Yes. What's the problem? <laughs> it's like, you're targeting that is the, the problem. <laughs> you, that is the gospel that they protect against underwork and end up incentivizing overwork or like demanding mm-hmm. overwork. And so like this person... Like they probably, let's say that they did take the, like the 15 minutes and that they took their PTO. They probably would still feel bad, right? Yeah. And so they work past the certain hour. Like we don't ask supervisors permission to like, oh, can I like spend 15 more minutes checking my email? Like she would probably, the supervisor would be like, yeah, that's good work or whatever, yeah. right? Instead of like, oh, add 15 minutes to your PTO for that work that you did after hours. Yeah. Uh, gosh, I am just frustrated with this, but I hope that the question asker feels validated in our response. All right, I'm getting a frantic DM from our producer who asks about the nightmare scenario in which our question asker asks about this, you know, HR more publicly. And then what happens is that the policy is that you have to take PTO and then everyone else is affected by this policy and basically like our question asker ruined it for everyone else right Wait, so what I, do we do first what do we say, do? like she didn't ruin it for everyone else this is the company's problem so. no, yeah, yeah this yeah. is the company's yeah. problem not her problem <laughs> but yeah so i want to believe that's not true just because she says like it's validated in slack that you know when people take this time off they go woo and you know this is part of our company it's just when she asks her specific manager but if that is the case this is a bad company to work for, and I just want her to get out safely. Like, that's it. <laughs> yes. And, and I think this goes back to something that you said at the very beginning of our conversation, which is that sometimes people think, if I find a remote job in my field, it's the jackpot, and I should never leave, and mm-hmm. I should be grateful. But no. No. And, you know, this might mean that you have to stick it out a little while longer while you job search. Yeah. The great thing about remote jobs is that, like, you know, you can find other ones and not have to move, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have to usurp your entire living situation in order to find another one. So yeah, I would say I, you and I are both in agreement that this is a red flag about Huge. the company in general and about the manager specifically. Mm-hmm. And just keep that in mind as you move forward. <laughs> our last question is from the management side of things. This is from Abby and our colleague Charlotte is going to read it. I've recently become a manager of a small all remote team And I'm trying very hard to be both an effective manager, model and encourage boundaries, and keep in mind that work is not, and should not, be anyone's life. At the same time, I've quickly realized people are not working as much as they should. Not because we have set hours, but because projects that should be done in a certain amount of time aren't getting done. My boss has noticed this as well, and her solution is more closely monitor work plans, but I'm hoping there's a different, less overbearing approach. How do I address worker output without seeming like a micromanager, And who still wants her team to have a life and be happy? This question is super interesting because it seems to address underwork, which we were just talking about is usually super rare. Mm -hmm. But also because this scenario could happen in a traditional office setting. But because it's remote, there is this added, I think, paranoia that like, oh, there are members of my team who are just fucking around. Or that, like, they're exercising. Like, how much exercise can you do that would really make you that bad at your job? Uh, So what do you think, just because these people are flexible, 
doesn't mean that like they're necessarily doing less work. It's not that the flex maybe is the problem here. Yeah, this goes back to what we talked about. Like underwork is very rarely the real issue. And I read an article. Did you read the article in The Cut? I think it was a couple of weeks ago about helicopter parenting being yeah. lazy. Yeah, Catherine Jezer Morton. Yes. My, one of my heroes. Yeah. So I read yeah. that and deeply resonated with it as someone who had helicopter parents, but also <laughs> on the level of a person who has been micromanaged before. I think mm. micromanagement is lazy because you're not trusting your team. You're taking short-term ease for long-term harm. You're not trusting your team. You're not, like the other question was about mentoring your team members to actually be able to do the work. There's like so many issues and you're creating like feelings of unhappiness that people are not able to have the flexibility they want. So I think there's so many issues with micromanagement. When it comes to underwork, it is either a communication problem or a hiring problem. That is it. (laughs) So if I were to ask each member of this team individually, what are you expected to get done this week? And then I were to ask the managers, what is X person supposed to get done this week? And I compare those two answers. They are more than likely not going to match in this scenario. Um, uh, Specifically, the time she said uh, projects that should be done in a certain amount of time aren't getting done. My first thought isn't, hey, these people are underworking. My first thoughts are, are the expectations reasonable? Are they communicated clearly? Are there processes in place to efficiently unblock people? Like, there's Mm -hmm. just so much more to it than just me immediately jumping to, oh, this team isn't working. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, when it comes to the hiring side, you want to make sure you're hiring for quality of work rather than external factors. So if you had hiring for this role and you just did a traditional interview process that was just judging based off, can people answer questions on the spot? And do they look presentable? And can they speak to me on Zoom? And the role is something entirely different, like, hey, they have to code things then you didn't hire based off the role. You hired based off external factors like you did in an in-person job, but the judgment is entirely different for a remote work role. Mm. So you need to change your hiring practices there. And I will say I've worked with dozens of companies. Like I said, I've been remote for eight years now and my company is about to hit five years old. In that time, only one time was it an underwork problem because someone was like specifically underworking and it ended up being due to the hiring practice. It wasn't due to anything else. Like that was the real issue there. Yeah. So it really goes back to communication and it goes back to hiring. Well, and it seems like this manager is willing to do hard work, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, you know, the the thesis of that, that article that you were mentioning before about how helicopter parenting is lazy, she's basically arguing that it, it takes a whole lot of work to teach your child to actually be independent. Mm-hmm. So I think that this manager is willing to put in the time to try to cultivate that independence and try to cultivate better communication and, and even to see where the disconnect is happening between expectations and worker expectations, right? Like all those disconnects that you mentioned before. So that I think that would be our advice to her is like, seems like you're, you're on board Mm -hmm. to do what is necessary. You don't want a quick fix. You're not trying to just like flip a switch and have your team change. And you also, it seems like she is not that interested in micromanaging. Like that's, you know, she she wants to reject (laughs) that. So she's already on board there. It's kind of a fun invitation to be like, okay, you get to innovatively figure out 
what are the blocks here? Like, what's stopping your team? I will give her a very specific, like, actionable thing she can start with. Um, what yeah. I recommend is starting with a My Week channel. Um, so in Slack or whatever tool they end up using, it doesn't matter. Tools don't matter. <laughs> but yeah. create a channel called My Week. And then every week you have two parts. You have this is what I did last week and this is what I, I do this week. But... The difference here is you're going to copy and paste. So last week I said, this week I'm going to do X, Y, Z. Now it's a week later. I'm going to copy that text and then I'm going to add a check mark or an X. If I add an X, I'm going to put in parentheses. I could not complete this because blah, 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 whatever blocker happened. And yeah. what'll end up happening is one, this puts in the face, like what were you promising versus what did you actually do? Mm -hmm. um, two, it provides managers with specific reasons why things were not done. So it's specific things they can target on how to make it easier for this person to be unblocked and actually complete this item next week. And three, it gets everyone on the same page about what expectations there are for the week. Yeah. And also that transparency. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the thing that I hear again and again from people who are trying to cultivate a healthy remote or hybrid work culture and practice is say it out loud, yeah. right? Just Put say it in it. writing. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, you got to make it explicit because mm -hmm. all of these things that we have made implicit in actual offices for so long, those weren't, that wasn't great either, it right? Wasn't. So how can we try to make things better? Let's be explicit about our expectations, about the way that we treat each other, about all of this stuff. Agreed. All right. So as kind of our wrap-up question, I want to go back to a stat that you mentioned at the beginning of the episode that absolutely blew my mind, which is that you were only spending 5% of your week in meetings. So can you talk through a little bit what worked really well, maybe in surprising ways too, or in, it could also be in like totally obvious ways. You're like, oh yeah, we, we weren't doing that, but we did that and that worked. Um, so yeah, just share share a little bit of that with us. There's so many things. I feel like I could talk all day about this topic. Um, awesome. So um, that My Week channel was a big help. That helped us get rid of things like daily standups because we took away the information sharing part of it. And so mm -hmm. instead of having to have daily standups, we had this expectation set. And then we could follow through on all those expectations as well because they were written out. Yep. That cut down on uh, daily meetings. One of the things that had a really big impact was changing my approach to management. So I used to be mm -hmm. in the approach of like thinking about this, like 40 hour work week, everybody should work at least 40 hours in order to get everything out. And um, I quickly realized that that does not matter when it comes to the knowledge work that I was working with. So a developer, like I was talking about before, who's developing for one hour at high energy is very different than a developer who's developing at one hour at very low energy or distracted. And so my target was to make sure that that person could just get what was expected done and it be in less time. So I used time as a limiter rather than mm. a time frame. And so what we do is upfront with the people that I manage, I say, I think that this week we should set the expectation that you do X, Y, Z. And I say, is this reasonable? Is this reasonable in under 40 hours or whatever, if they're part-time, under 20 hours? And they say, oh, yes, that's reasonable. Or no, I think, you know, that might be a bit too much for me. And then we'll alter it. And then that's set. Like at the beginning of the week, that's set. And then I leave them alone. I define the what and why. And then they mm -hmm. define the how. I don't care what hours they're working. I don't care whether it gets done in 10 hours and then they spend the rest of the week off. That doesn't matter to me at all. Um, I think it's actually lazy management when you just rely on time because that's not actually output. 
Yep. That was a huge change for my team. Another huge change was setting synchronous hours. So I had team members all over the world. I'm not going to expect everybody to work the same hours or even to have overlapping hours if they don't need to. So our team would typically have like only one or two, two meetings a week and they were typically close together and they had the rest of the week off. Because I think people forget that even when you have a like one meeting in a day, there's that pre-thoughts that go into it like you're kind of focused like oh I have to be on time for this meeting you have to like catch yourself you can't go into deep work mode or else you'll lose yourself and be late to this meeting and then even afterwards if you're an introvert like me I'm exhausted after meetings like I cannot just jump back into work and be like yes I'm filled with energy I can get this done I like after this call today I'm gonna go take a walk with my puppy like that's that's what's gonna happen in order to refresh and come back to work so yeah I think it's just rethinking how you do things. And to start small, I don't think that every manager can jump in and just be like, like what I just said, uh, where you set the expectations and then they can go do whatever they want. Maybe start it small where in the morning times, maybe they have uh, set synchronous hours. And then later times is just work whatever hours you want, you know, like small baby steps and work your way up to everything else. I love that. Marissa, this has been fantastic. We will certainly have you on the show again. So if people have other questions about remote or hybrid or flexible work, please send them in. Where can people find you on the internet if they want to? You can find everything about me at marissagoldberg.com and you'll see all my socials and you can subscribe to my newsletter there where we revolutionize how you live by changing how you work. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Work Appropriate. If you've got a workplace quandary you need help figuring out, get in touch. Some ideas we're thinking about include neurodivergence at work, breakdowns in communication, and preparing for layoffs. You can find submission guidelines at workappropriate.com or send a voice memo with your question to workappropriate at crooked.com. Don't forget to follow us at Crooked Media on Instagram and Twitter for more original content, host takeovers, and other community events. You can follow me on Twitter at Anne Helen or on Instagram at Anne Helen Peterson. You can sign up for my newsletter, Culture Study, at annhelen.substack.com. And if you like the show, leave us a little performance review on your podcast app of choice. It really helps. Work Appropriate is a Crooked Media production. I'm Anne Helen Peterson, your host. Our executive producer is Kendra James. Melody Rowell is our producer and editor. Allison Falzetta is our development producer. Music is composed by Chanel Critchlow. Additional production support from Ari Schwartz. And special thanks to Katie Long and Sarah Geismer. Next week, we're talking managing up, aka awkward conversations you need to have with your boss. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss it.